Hello and welcome to Somebody's Watching. I'm Ellie Levy. This episode is all about the top three horror films of the decade, starting from the 1960s to the 2010s, featuring two friends of mine that are avid horror fans and know what they're talking about. Drummer and curator Sarah Nydorf, who co-directs Final Girls Berlin with me, and Jess Sweetman, a marketing coordinator and film obsessive. In part one, we managed to get through the 60s to the 90s. It was really fun to think about horror films in this way. I'd recommend it. There's a letterbox list with all of our picks. My handle is at Ellie Levy. Thanks, Justin Sarah, for being so invested in this time-consuming, very low-stakes project. You definitely didn't disappoint. All right, here we are talking about our top three horror films of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Welcome, Jess, and welcome, Sarah. Hello. Hi, Ellie. Are you ready to do this? <laughs> as ready Hell as yeah. I'll ever be. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> doom-filled. Okay. All right. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Okay. Hello. My name is Sarah Nydorf, and I am co-director of Final Girls Berlin Film Fest along with Ellie. I'm also a drummer, and I play in the bands Aptera and Mellow Death and Suratma, among a few others. And I'm a lifelong film freak. Hi, I'm Jess Sweetman. I am a horror nerd and freelancer working with short films organizations, um, another organization in the UK who help filmmakers get into festivals, and also with Final Girls Berlin Film Festival, where I met these two wonderful humans and bonded forever so yeah i you know i love lists generally and uh you're my horror buds so i thought it would be fun to go through the decades uh from the 60s to the 10s and pick out our top three horror films yeah that's the idea um so i know say that again (laughs) it was hard work it was hard. I know I tasked you with a impossible mission, but um, I also agree that it was really hard work, and I changed my answer like four times already today. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but maybe first, Sarah, before we start our sixties, you have a few special movies you want to also talk about. So how about you go with that? Yeah, I wasn't sure if you guys were also all doing the same thing, but I couldn't resist. Um, naming a few prior to the 60s. So 1932 Freaks by Todd Browning was like Mm -hmm. just one of my favorite films from the time I was about 12 years old. Seems quite early, but I remember when I discovered the film, it was, I believe, still somehow banned or illegal or impossible to find on DVD. And I had ordered a a VHS of it and watched the hell out of that VHS when I was... (laughs) <laughs> and uh, then I went on to like write about it in college and I'm still obsessed with it. And for the 40s, I was choosing between Rebecca and Rope by Hitchcock. And I went with Rope because uh-huh. it's quite suggestively gay. And it's about these two young men who kill another and then like hide his, bo- his body pretty much in plain sight while having a dinner party. 
And it's just like, for me, it's one of those like early kind of queer horror trailblazers. So I really appreciate rope. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the fifties, I, uh, I had to talk about bad seed from mm-hmm. uh, 1956 mm-hmm. Mervyn Leroy. Um, I'm for me, like films about evil children are just a longstanding favorite. I like the good ones. I like the bad ones. Most of them are bad. <laughs> These films about evil children, <laughs> but that's been like, uh, just a long-standing fascination of mine. And I used to really enjoy watching those films with my mom, even while I was a kid, you know? So I, <laughs> I think I saw that seed. I don't even know when I was like eight years old. I even like watched it with my grandmother and we would always talk like anytime I was misbehaving or whatever, there was always some kind of like joke that I was, that I was behaving like Rhoda Penmark. And next thing, <laughs> next thing you knew, I'd be lighting lighting someone on fire in the shed or whatever the hell, or like killing my classmates. Um, yeah, so, that really yeah. goes hard, actually. <laughs> it's intense, yeah. and it's the performance of uh, Patty McCormick as this, like, evil child is just, uh, it's one of a kind. It's so campy and, uh, and so, like, so much fun. It's just this, like, delicious fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I still have also my VHS of that film that I rescued from my childhood bedroom and brought it with me to Berlin and it's on a shelf here in my living room because it just gives me a lot of joy to look at it <laughs> nice <laughs> did, did you two come up with uh, anything from those three decades? I mean there are films but no I kind of the 60s to 10s were already like quite a lot <laughs> to handle okay. for me so um, also, to confess, I thought we were doing 70s to 10s. So ah, okay. <laughs> I thought we were doing 70s, 80s, 90s, so that's what I've prepared for. I that's see. totally fine. Then we yeah. can we can do the 60s a little bit faster. Okay, so then I'll, I'll start with the 60s then. Go for it. Uh, so, yeah, I'll just go with one, and we can just go back and forth. Uh, okay. So, um, just to, I mean, generally, I, I'd say that um, that my list are the films that speak to me like right now, you know? Um, but of course these things keep changing. And also my list isn't in any particular order unless I state otherwise. Um, and yeah, some movies also might not be strictly horror, whatever that means, but that's how they feel to me. So, um, sixties, the first one would be, uh, the cremator, directed by uh, Uri Hertz from 1969. Um, and this is like a Czech new wave chiller about a, a spineless cremator uh, in late 30s Czechoslovakia, who is all too influenced by the political sentiments of the time. So um, it's really hard to watch and really great as well. And the fact that the director um, you're right, Harris was also um, a Holocaust survivor is really like just shocking to me and jaw dropping. And it's it's a tale of, of banal human evil, basically. And it's also available on YouTube. So I'm going to also add that to the show notes whenever it is available on YouTube. Cool. The films I talk about. Um, have you both seen it? Have either of you seen it? No, I've never heard no. of this film. And I, I'm very fascinated and really want to see it now. Yeah, so it's really great. Um, again, this is one of those not strictly horror, I guess, but it's, it's 
to me, it's like, this is real life horror. So it's, it doesn't get more intense than that. Um, and it's just the way it's, it's played this kind of like very quick in a way devolvement of this, of this kind of simple spineless man, um, is just, um, it's something to behold. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, okay. How about you, Sarah? 16. Okay. Well, I think you won't be surprised by this choice. <laughs> Whatever happened to baby Jane? There we are. Um, 1962, directed by Robert Aldrich, um, U.S. production. Of course, starring um, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. And uh, just last night, for those of you listening, um, you might know that Ellie and I do a film festival called Final Girls Berlin. And we just had a talk by um, Katrin Zeiler about horror hags and the history of hagsploitation cinema and its kind of modern-day manifestations. In any case, so Baby Jane had a... A role in that talk as well which you can find on youtube making a little plug here but um yeah i uh I, i've been obsessed with kind of representations of older women in horror from the time i was young and this is also a film that my mom showed me and i think she showed me sunset boulevard around the time of this film and we kind mm. of like put it into context together and also watched um whatever happened to ann alice and all these other um like other exploitation films that uh, that followed this one, and uh, yeah, I, the performances are amazing. There's a yeah. lot of like very melodramatic acting from Joan Crawford, um, yeah, and Betty Davis, and like it's just it's grotesque, it's funny, it's also very like it feels very human, even though it's like very over the top. I feel like it it works on a lot of different levels it mm. plays i don't know it plays with with uh with like our our expectations a lot of like what what's an acceptable way to um to be a woman in this world and to to age in a way that's yeah. acceptable and also like women amongst each other kind of like in a in a like these two sisters living in this house together without really any um like rational male presence is sort of a it's like an for me that's like a that's also like a fascinating sort of focus for me because I feel like you know that's there's always supposed to be this like male um like anchor Anchor of identification exactly anchor of identification and like in a film and then like the women's hysteria is played uh, against that and here you don't have that I mean you have this like gay pianist figure who is accompanying mm-hmm. her music and who sometimes is kind of like rolling his eyes and being like, all right, here she goes again. So you have like a little bit of that, but it's still totally their movie. It's like they're, mm-hmm. they're in the spotlight and um, it yeah. might be that they're the horror of their, um, of their aging is what's being exploited for the viewer's pleasure. But at the same time, it's like, uh, it's very much in it's in the spotlight, right? So it's it's mm-hmm. like this kind of thing where you're not supposed to look, but here it's like, look, enjoy. <laughs> so for me, that's that's yeah. Whatever happened to Baby Jane is has has been like a, a film that's accompanied me throughout my life, and yeah. I uh, I plan to continue revisiting it like <laughs> on a semi regular yeah. basis because it's something that's I enjoy shit. so much. I yeah. think I, I mean, watch I, it once I, a year. Say that again. I think I watch it once a year. Yeah, um, exactly. It's like an annual tradition. It's a good one, especially if you're kind of, 
I don't know, I'm I'm 43 now and I, you know, there's so many horrific depictions of aging. Sometimes I just want to pretend that I'm going to be like a mishmash Betty Davis, Joan Crawford mm-hmm. and just scare children. And it makes me feel much more comfortable and happy about <laughs> aging. I love that. <laughs> Idols. <laughs> Every woman needs goals. These are good goals to have. Um, well, a lot I, of the films, sorry, I'm just going to say a little bit more background. Is that a lot of the films that I've chosen are films that like I have a deep connection to from my childhood, actually, and like having watched them with my mom and then having yeah. a lot of inside jokes with them together. Like I mentioned that The Bad Seed was like something that just became this joke, like this this kind of lens through which we saw the world in a way when I was a kid. And then when I had like advanced a little bit beyond that, then like, and my mother was aging too, of course. So then baby Jane became like this uh, lens for us. And we would, we would sing, I've written a letter to, to daddy and like, whatever the fuck, like we, we, we had all these kinds of references to the film that would accompany us throughout our everyday life. Yeah. Um, or like, you know, sometimes she'd bring me food and then, and then be like, watch out, there might be a rat or something, you know, <laughs> like, there's, it's a, it was, it was like a friend that, that, that kind of like kept us company. Mm. That's, That's beautiful. Nice. Did you ever see, um, as British comedy duo French and Saunders? No. Like in the late 80s, early 90s, they did a series of really good Baby Jane based sketches. <laughs> that sounds delightful. Of, oh, it's so, so good. <laughs> So my second choice for the 60s is Eyes Without a Face, um, which is a French film directed by Georges Franjou from 1960. Um, if people don't know, it's um, about a director, uh, sorry, not a director, <laughs> a doctor uh, who accidentally disfigures his daughter and keeps her hidden away from the world, um, letting everyone believe that she died. And meanwhile, he kidnaps women and tries to remove their faces and graft them onto his daughter's. Um, so, you know, um, but yeah, what it's kind of like, you know, it sounds like a typical silly kind of mad scientist movie, but, um, it's actually, there's a lot of weight to it and a lot of like existential angst and, and the visuals are, are really moody and striking and, uh, yeah, I'd recommend. I feel like I saw it too young and couldn't appreciate Mm -hmm. it enough. And now I'd really like to revisit it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so my shall I shall I go for my next film? Please, yeah. Can you guess? Sixties, <laughs> uh, sixties. I guess you don't have to guess. It's Rosemary's Baby. Of oh, course. of course, of course. You know, I knew I knew that was gonna come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hate to speak his name, but Roman Polanski and the nineteen sixty nine. For me, though, the the I mean, I want to celebrate the performances by Mia Farrow and Ruth Gordon in this film like this this isn't just a Polanski film this is also a Farrow and Gordon film in my opinion and um I mean who doesn't love elderly Satanists in a cult (laughs) and like I I I could speak about this film for longer but everyone knows it you know and it's not that like you know I feel kind of like my picks should be a bit more off the beaten path but not all of them are and this one isn't but no, it's, it's what's true to you right like, it's very true to me I mean yeah. I, yeah I still remember when I first saw it and I, I guess I was around 13 and like it just blew my fucking mind I'm mm-hmm. like 
it, it became kind of like the benchmark against which all other films were measured for me mm. after after I saw this and like so few compare basically and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and it was also for me uh something that I shared with my mother and we were always like Ruth Gordon as this wacky neighbor was like I don't even know just just kind of a figure in our life then like we collected weird literature by her like she wrote a couple plays and she was you know <laughs> she was kind of this like fringe figure in like a lot of different artistic forms and mm-hmm. I think this is what started that fascination with her of course she was also in um Harold and Maude yeah I love that just, movie oh yeah mm-hmm. she's just a badass um yeah that is such a great trivia fact as well yeah I I didn't even realize that. Like, there's just Ruth Gordon plays. Yeah, she was a writer. I'm not sure if any of it was like, like we coll- like we collected it and put it on a little shelf in the living room. But we totally didn't read it. To be honest, it was just like great to have her name on a, on a book with a funny cartoon. Can you like cover. find it and can we do a table reading? Just saying. <laughs> I think it was called Adam's Rib, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know, but yeah. Oh, wow. Um. Yeah, and ta- I, I later I, I named one of my band's songs Tannis Root based on that like creepy necklace with a stinky herb in it that <laughs> Ruth Gordon gives to Mia Farrow in the film and makes her wear. And yeah, it's like it's the original kind of, I mean, it's not the very first, but for me it was the first gaslighting horror that I saw hmm. and uh, medical gaslighting. And for me that's been like such a fascinating theme, just the fact that women could be kind of institutionalized or just their bodies are treated, of course, as not their own, which is just a very Mm. real horror. You know, this is just an ongoing real life piece of horror. And I think this film has a brilliant take on it and approach to it. And um, yeah. So for me, it's just, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's one of those, uh, the films that had left a really early mark. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, my last uh, pick for the 60s uh, is a film that I also just recently watched. Um, so I guess it's just stuck in my mind. It's called The Laughing Woman. Um, and it's directed by Piero Shivazappa. And it's Italian, yeah. Uh, from uh, 1969. Um, and it's about Maria, who's a PR woman who gets uh, kidnapped by the sadistic philanthropist and is forced to play his strange sex games, but uh, that's not what's interesting about this film. Um, and there's much more to the story. Um, it's just gorgeous to look at and um, very satisfying and actually quite feminist too. Um, so it's very 60s, like a lot of like pop you know, colors and, and weird 60s dancing. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's a delight. And um, again, this kind of, this turn it takes makes it all very satisfying. Um, and it's also available on YouTube, which is great. The obsessive bondage that very special men and women enjoy over each other with the internationally famous Philippe Leroy as Sayer, a sadist, expert in bizarre punishments, a complete master of the most exquisite techniques of mental and physical torture. Dagmar Lysander as Maria, his prisoner. Philippe Leroy and Dagmar Lysander. Quite unlike anything you have ever experienced before, the peculiar bondage in which both master and slave are inescapably trapped. Thank you.
never entirely forget this revealing motion picture experience. Okay, so for my final pick, I'm I'm changing my mind right now. <laughs> um, I was going to talk about The Birds by Hitchcock because it was mm-hmm. also an early film for me that just like, you know, it scared me in a way that I was excited by, which is, you know, what is one of my early kind of horror experiences where I was like, I love being scared, you know, and this was a good one for me, but I'm switching over because I just remembered that Peeping Tom was also mm-hmm. from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Look out! Look out! Take care. You are being watched. We repeat, take care, for you are now alone with a killer. We warn you, don't let him see the fear in your eyes. For this is what he seeks, and this is why he kills. Where are you? Where are you? Look out for Carl Byrne as the peeping Tom directed by Michael Powell and yeah it's just a fucking awesome film about yes. voyeurism and it's brilliantly shot the way that it plays with the gaze mm-hmm. um, yeah great cinematography yeah. I'd love to watch it again um, in the near future it's been a bit but um, yeah this was this was a, a film that definitely impressed the heck out of me when I was a teenager and um yeah i guess you've yeah. had either of you two have thoughts on it i know you've been yeah i mean it's, it. it's in my honorable mentions uh there aren't that many in the 60s but that's basically what that and psycho and i start counting are my honorable mentions mm-hmm. um yeah i mean it's really as you said like just the way it plays with the gaze and this kind of character that's um obviously sadistic and horrible but you also kind of feel for him in some ways <laughs> and um yeah it's just uh it's an interesting one it was a career killer as well for the director wasn't it yeah yeah um, which is so interesting to compare to hitchcock obviously who took all took all of the um liberties that he did with psycho and help build his career um from hollywood hmm. do you have any honorable mentions sarah the 60s were also more sparse for me than, than yeah. the next few decades but my other honorable mention other than the birds was um carnival of souls mm. mm-hmm. and ch- was children of the damned was that also 60s village or ch- i don't no sorry village Vill- I'm thinking the Village of the Damned. Yeah. yeah, I think it was also 60s, yeah. Yes, this was a fun one. Um, I'm looking for the... Yeah, it's 1960. Yeah. Uh, yes, All right. so that's nice. my other honor. Um, okay, so now, Jess, you can hop on board because <laughs> we're talking about the 70s. So, Woo! you go first. Oh, okay, Um. so... The 70s are the ultimate decade of (laughs) horror, as far as I'm concerned. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, Yeah, it's when, you know, films were still made (laughs) with vigor and (laughs) scripts and people still tried new things and film was still a relatively young art form and they were learning amazing, amazing things. So I... 
I whittled down. I didn't. I was trying not to be too obvious, but I think the seventies is my decade for picking obvious horror <laughs> classics that are actually good films. So I went with Don't Look Now because I feel like if you held a gun to my head and <laughs> demanded to know what I thought the best horror film ever made was, I'd either say that or The Exorcist. And everyone knows about The Exorcist. So um, yeah, I'm going with Don't Look Now. Um, I was going to watch it again today because I usually watch it about once a year um but I didn't have the stomach for it and I replaced it with my 1980s film instead but that's I think testament to the fact that this movie is heart-wrenchingly beautiful um while being a stellar horror Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like a giallo. It's got the the colours and the piano music. Oh my god, the soundtrack is just beautiful. And then it's so much about the two main actors. You know, it's about Judy Christie and Donald Sutherland. Just, I don't know, sparkling as grieving parents and people whose whose love is collapsing, but love each other desperately and. Everything about that film is is beautiful and terrifying at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I first watched it when I was probably 16, 17 years old. So it was a really important horror film for me in the fact that I, before that, I think I loved horror, but I loved, you know, schlock and slasher stuff and 80s horror and so this was the first like grown up horror film I ever saw. Mm-hmm. And and it gave me this feeling of of fear and this feeling of alienation that I've sought in cinema ever since. And the fact that Nicholas Rogue, you know, deliberately shot in places that weren't the tourist areas and yeah, the the sort of creeping shadows and the exteriors of this film just make me feel afraid and lost, which is awesome. <laughs> um, and were, do you remember the like the context of what when you watched it? Like, did someone introduce this to you, or did you like? Yeah, th- this was my first proper boyfriend, who mm-hmm. was also a film guy. He was like the first guy I'd met in Felix Stowe who liked films as much as I did. So obviously we got together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember the first time I watched it being like, what? Um, and because the sex scene is like so prominent, mm-hmm. just seeing Donald Sutherland's white ass flying around <laughs> on the screen for that long was just a bit shocking and I had it took me a second go to get past Donald Sutherland's white ass <laughs> flying around the screen hey, no Donald Sutherland, Sutherland bashing here please don't forget the bashing. armpit licking okay there was there was a prominent armpit lick in that scene I'm I'm just bashing his white ass so I'm not bashing his <laughs> acting talent and apparently the hair was a wig I found this out today and yes. apparently they actually had sex maybe so yeah, that that's been denied though. I don't know. Um, who cares? I guess, but yeah. <laughs> and apparently that that was the first thing they filmed. Um, mm, wow. And I do I do feel for Julie Christie, um, being the woman on the set during this. There were five people on the set, and she was the only female. And she, as far as I can tell, hasn't talked about it very much. Whereas 
other people are asked questions about it and that makes me wonder but Mm. yeah I still think it's just it's just a disarmingly beautiful film about love and loss and it's very very human yeah and because of that it's devastating yes I have to cut in and say this is also number one on my list from the 70s. Mm-hmm. So you did but, rank it kind of, okay. I mean, I didn't rank in general, but for me, yeah. there were certain decades where I was like, okay, I'm definitely talking about this film. And then I'm having trouble choosing between like 10 other films for my other two, you know? Yeah. And Don't Look Now was one of those films where I was like, this is without a doubt in my top three from, from the 70s. And yeah. it was like we, what you said, uh, Jess, like if someone put it, put a gun to your head and said, tell me what's the best horror movie you ever made, it might be my answer as well. Because other there's other films that I might like a little bit more just because of, I don't know what, like sometimes even just trash value wins for me, depending on the mood that I'm in. But I just think Don't Look Now is a, is a fucking brilliant film. Like it has, yeah, this, this, the score is amazing. The like the editing, the montage, um, the way that it references earlier scene, you know, the way that it kind of plays with temporality, um, and yeah, it, for me, another like kind of uh, trope or motif that I like is like cities, tourist cities on off season, which hmm. feel kind of like uncanny um, and isolated and alienated because of that. Um, so that, yeah, this, another film, which I'll mention later from my seventies has that same thing going on. Um, also like these two elderly sisters who are blind and clairvoyant, uh, so cool. I love, (laughs) I love creepy sisters. Also a theme from my, another film that I'm going to mention of this decade. Um, yeah. Stuff about Mm -hmm. mistaken identity, stuff playing with time, aging, etc. I don't want to give the major um, spoiler, but you, you all know what I'm talking about with the ending. Mm-hmm. And it's also an early example of grief horror, like as, as Jess mentioned, which, um, yeah, plays into so many yeah. other films I enjoy, including an obvious one of the 2010s. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this film kind of has it all. And yeah, like a lot of the major themes became some of my favorite cinematic um, themes to explore. Also, it's written by um, Daphne, Daphne du Maurier, who I noticed so many of the films that I loved were also written by, like um, The Birds and Rebecca. So she's kind of this interesting heart, like sort of, I mean, I don't know if you would call her, she's not really obscure at all because she wrote these major scripts for major horror films, but underappreciated, let's say, writer of mm-hmm. horror. Um, and yeah, her writing was uh, what this film was based on, so.
also love um, love the movie, but it actually is not on my in my top three. So, um, so my first pick for the seventies is uh, Martin. Uh, okay. Made in nineteen seventy seven, directed by George Romero. Um, so generally, I knew you, know, you were going to pick this. What's that? I knew you were going to pick this. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm generally not such a huge fan of like kind of a classic horror monster, you know, from like the thirties or whatever. But um, I would say that vampires do still um, appeal to me <laughs> and um, especially like an unconventional vampire movie. And this is definitely one of them. And I just bought the, this new second sight Blu-ray and I can't wait to like look at all the features. I didn't have time to do that, but the special features I really liked took great care and did this very lovingly. Um, So yeah, it's obviously my favorite George Romero film and just a little bit about what it's about. Um, So this young guy, Martin, believes he's a vampire and he um, sedates people, uh, not people, women, (laughs) uh, with drugs um, and cuts them with razor blades. And um, that's how he kind of fulfills his vampiric uh, practice, I guess. And he goes to live uh, with his uncle in this uh, very depressing industrial Pennsylvania town. And it's kind of, yeah, that's the, the core of the plot. Um, but it is kind of more of a, a serial killer movie than anything uh, really related to Bram Stoker or anything. Um, and yeah, it's just a very sad and challenging and like striking film. It was a hard watch, but that's kind of what I like. Um, and uh, yeah, I watched it when I was also quite young and it really just left an imprint. And I don't know if you ha- both have opinions about this film, but. You know, I'm not sure if I've seen it. And if I have, for whatever reason, I must have been, it was probably like a super late screening and I wasn't fully alert during it. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely want to rewatch it now that you mentioned it again. Cool. I have seen it and I agree with you on, I love George A. Romero's view of former steel town, Pennsylvania. Mm. He does it so, so well. That urban decay is just beautiful. Yeah. And I really, really enjoyed the movie. And I, I think I just, I found it by accident. I was just doing what I normally do and put seventies horror movie <laughs> into a search engine. I was like, Oh, <laughs> And yeah, it was it was beautiful. It's almost almost a little bit like a kind of sixties British pot boiler in hmm. a way. It's in that that sort of very small house, you know, like living with relatives and that kind of awkwardness. Hmm. Yeah. It had a Rillington place kind of feel as well. Okay, I don't know the reference, but um yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll look into it. That's a serial killer film with Richard Attenborough. So oh, I mean, really? really? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's really good. Shall I go in for my next? Yes, please. So this is not a conventional horror film in any sense, but I chose Three Women from Robert Altman mm. mm-hmm. uh, 1977. And uh, it's just an extremely surreal film. Um, in one of the trailers, I think it was described as a desert nightmare, which I think hmm. is a pretty apt description. Um, I had the thought that it's also kind of autistic horror, actually, because I, <laughs> I identify as neurodivergent, and I feel like the way that Shelley Duvall and Sissy Spacek act in the film is like 
extremely neurodivergent actually and it's a lot about Mm -hmm. like the horrors of Mm -hmm. social isolation in a sense and like they're a lot of the time it's just about them like desperately trying to connect either with each other or with people they're working with and like there's all these scenes of Shelley Duvall following her co-workers and just kind of rambling on about like gross recipes that she cooked involving Mm -hmm. hot dogs and tuna casserole. Like it's like this very like grotesque uh, American uh, picnic cuisine kind of, which was like from the fifties almost. And she's just going on and either trying to talk to a doctor or trying to talk to um, her coworkers. They work at like this rehabilitation center for the elderly, which is also a very surreal um, setting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, like it's just this kind of thing where every like people are just kind of talking past each other and not connecting and the dialogue is like super um i don't know like it's very surreal i'm trying to think of a better fucking word to describe it but like it, it i think robert altman said he based it on a dream actually and you can really feel the, the mm. kind of like nightmarish dream yeah, yeah aspect and like dream it. logic as well right yeah dream logic for sure yeah. um yeah. yeah. So this this, this film this is probably not not just as a horror film, but in general one of my favorite films ever. Um, yeah. It's just a, like it's be- visually it's also like like these pastels and it's it, the desert looks like another planet in a way and everything feels very alien. Um, mm-hmm. And you never fucking know where it's going. It evolves in in utterly bizarre ways. And yeah, and yeah. I mean, how can you go wrong with Shelley Duvall and Sissy Spacek, both um, legends? That's true. Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay, Jess? So when I went to university in the 90s, it was when films were finally being released after the end of the, the end, after the video nasty issues uh-huh. um, where everything got banned. So when I was at uni... I got to go and see The Exorcist at the cinema when it was released, and I got to see The Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the cinema when it was re-released, and I had never seen either of those films before, Mm. and they were everything, and they were magical. So I think my second film, I'm going to go with The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's kind of a cliche, but I fucking love that movie so much. Mm -hmm. Um, The sheer brutality of the film, the characters... Um, and I think the washed out look of it from that moment when I talk about, you know, cinematic alienation, there's the cinematic alienation in the sort of cornfields and the the muted colors and then the screams and the, yeah, the, the vicious brutality of Toby Hooper's vision of that film makes me so happy. Um, and you've both watched horror movies with me and you know that the gorier things get, the happier I get. Um, <laughs> and my reaction to like really good gore is always to sort of squeal and laugh and joyfully clap. Um, so, yeah, if it turns out I've murdered a bunch of people, they can use this clip um, to freak people out. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just perfect for that. I love I love gore. I love stupid gore. I love stupid violent gore. But it's, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because, in a way, like there is no real gore, right? It's all like in your mind. Like actually, in terms of like actual blood content, it's quite low. I guess it, 
splatchy, but there's still, you know, a woman being put on a meat hook. Yes, I consider yes, that cool. It's, but it's like, it's like what you, but then like the actual, her being put, like the actual act of it is actually not seen, right? And that's like what we imagine. It's like, it's pretty interesting what it does to your, to you as a viewer. Mm. Um, yeah, like actually I, like, yeah, yeah it was, I picture it as a gore fest. As... Yeah, that's the thing. It was, it was supposed to be have like this X rating and then an R rating, but actually like the Toby Hooper actually thought it would be like a PG movie because there was not a lot of gore or, or blood. So it's, it's also on my list. It's actually my number one, I would say, if I were to rank it for the 70s. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Jess. But please continue. Well, I was looking actually, interestingly, talking about sort of directors killing their careers, I was looking mm-hmm. at the trajectory of Nick Rogue because um, after Don't Look Now, um, he did uh, – Oh, what's it called? Bad Taste? No, that's not him. Uh, he did, that's Peter Jackson. He did, he did uh, that Bowie Bad film. Timing. Huh? He did that Bowie film as well, The Man That Fell Yeah, to Earth. well, he did a couple of films that I don't really rate, one of which was The Man Who Fell to Earth, and the other one was uh, Performance. Um, and I know lots of other people like them, but I don't like those people. Those people can fuck off. Yeah, I didn't care yeah, much um, for, for, for I like but the Bowie he, one, but okay. <laughs> those people can fuck off. Uh. Uh, <laughs> but he, he also did uh, Bad Timing, which I really like, and Walkabout, which I really like. Oh, yeah. I, I, I recently like, watched Walkabout, actually, like last week. Okay. Uh, and I was wondering, like, what happened to Nicholas Rowe? Because I know he went and did The Witches because he wanted to make a film that his children could see. Which is sweet, and it was a good movie. Oh, that's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a childhood yeah. favorite for sure. Often you don't say that's a fun one when it comes to the films of Nicholas Ray. Um, <laughs> and then it, I looked, and God damn, there was a <laughs> in the directing career of Nicholas Ray. And interestingly, he ended up directing um, episodes of The Young Indiana Jones hmm. and Toby Hooper. Uh, obviously started off, you know, bringing us the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then directed Poltergeist, which the, the first hour is pretty good. And he ended up directing episodes of uh, Freddy's Nightmares. Mm. So it's another... Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Toby, I, I would say if you were to compare Rogue and Hooper, I mean, Rogue has the more illustrious career. Like, you know, he's made actual good films after <laughs> you know I feel like Toby Hooper I always wanted to root for him because I love this one movie so much but I've never actually loved another film he's made probably so yeah Poltergeist yeah. could have been good okay. the first hour of Poltergeist I, I think is all right um then it's just like a woman rolling around in her pants for a while so at least it has that older medium woman but, um, but, but yeah, to get back to, to Texas Chainsaw, I saw that when I was like, I think that was one of my very earliest films. I must have been nine or Gosh. ten, like my earliest horror, because I had a, a friend who was obsessed with it <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it, too. So for some reason, it, it doesn't rank among my favorites, even though I, I, I can agree it's brilliant, but it just doesn't like sit. It doesn't have that like special place within me the way these others do. But oh, yeah, just a, a random thing about it is that I was talking with Alana Thane you know because she gave a talk at our festival a, couple, a few years ago about dance and horror movies and we talked a little bit about Leatherface um the way that he moves with the chainsaw is actually very dancerly mm. 
So just just another fun lens to uh, to have while mm. while watching that film is yeah. it's actually yeah. kind of beautifully choreographed in some in some sense. Um, of course, because also course. if you if you if you listen to the the chainsaw within it, you know the way the ending cuts off. It's it's the sound of the chainsaw as he kind of waves it in the air and does this kind of. Yeah. strange pirouettes into the sky and that's quite musical as mm-hmm. well mm. yeah it's beautiful it's also beauty beautiful. yeah um yeah so i mean you've said a lot already jess about the film but i would just say also that kind of this it takes this lens on um like the disenfranchisement of people in a way like in this mm-hmm. setting or like late se- or early mid 70s um these people who now are jobless and do this instead, I guess. Um, and, um, yeah, I just, I do find it like actual art, you know, and a real like masterful depiction of, of terror. Like I, you know, you can call it silly, you can call it whatever, but it's, it's actually perfect for what it is. I find. Um, I love a good, a good grotesque dinner table scene that became a major favorite. Yeah. 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 Grandpa. Uh, okay, Sarah. Is it me again? Um, so, okay, the next one for me also was quite obviously going to make it on my list, and that's Daughters of Darkness okay. from mm-hmm. 1971, Harry Kumo. Um, and this is kind of the quintessential lesbian vampire film. Like, there are others from the 70s as well, but um, this one is, is is the best of the bunch. And um, it's just, it's a very, like, visually lush film. Like, it literally sparkles the candelabras and the sequins on the Countess's dress. It's, like, very seductive. um, Has these, like, subtle elements of BDSM between the, the, uh, yeah, the Countess and her, like, assistant. And um, also a parallel with Don't Look Now is that it's filmed in off-season um, in Bruges, mm. which is mm-hmm. kind of a visually similar city to Venice in some sense as well with the canals and everything. Yeah, I just, I, I think the soundtrack's amazing. Um, the the light design, like, it's just, it's just such a lush film. And um, really, like, whenever I watch it, I feel, like, completely sucked into its world and, like, very seduced by it. So <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm obsessed with this film. Hmm. And I love showing it to dates, I have to say. <laughs> Don't give away your tricks, Sarah. <laughs> it's it's among my tricks, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that one and, and Alucarda. Mm, mm-hmm. When was Alucarda made? That's also from the 70s. That's 77. So. Yes. Yeah. That definitely needs to be in my list of um, honorable mentions. I fucking yeah. love Alucarda. That's a close... That's a close call. It could be in my top three, but uh, oh, wow. um, okay. but it's not. Yeah, it's, there's too much good shit from the 70s. It's impossible yeah. to narrow down. Too much. Fall away into an even more endless night. Nights like last night. Who do you think I am? A kind of ghoul? A vampire? Oh, no, my dear. How many nights come If you think 
these ladies are something. Wait until you meet Mother. She's something else. Jess, uh, I guess we know what your other one is, but please talk about it. Um, actually, I wasn't going to talk about The Exorcist. Oh, okay. Um, because I just feel that just go and read Mark Kermode if you want to hear about The Exorcist. He has everything. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mark Kermode. <laughs> film, film theorist crush. Um, I'm going to go with Carrie, actually, for number mm. three. Because yeah. um, I think I'm going with ones with films I like feel so emotionally connected to that yeah. I've seen them thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Yes. And Carrie is definitely that movie for me. Um, 70s John Travolta with big <laughs> ridiculous hair and terrifying sissy space <laughs> uh, with her dirty pillows and mama oh mama <laughs> <laughs> and chris um oh i can't remember her name who's the actor nancy blah, 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 blah. Uh, who's like a, a mainstay of 70s 80s horror whose name i've horribly forgotten and she was in robocop as well which everyone should get a tick for because robocop's amazing um but that, yeah, there's so much about Carrie that's just in the canon of my everyday life. I think the words, they're all going to laugh at you, laugh at you, laugh at you, <laughs> tend to come out a lot in just general conversation. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I also suggest dropping pig's blood on people quite a lot, even though I know how that ends up. So nancy allen by the way nancy Mm -hmm. allen that's it sorry nancy allen i didn't mean to disrespect you um we can also go into the the canon of uh the good stephen king adaptations versus bad stephen king adaptation Mm -hmm. the eternal argument (laughs) um and this is one of the good ones yeah for sure um Yeah. yeah and there was actually one day when i was sick when i watched the original Carrie followed by the Angela Bettis remake mm. that was supposed to be the beginning of a of a series but never got never got picked up, which is still a shame to this day. Wait, followed Angela Angela the, Bettis played played Carrie? Yeah. There was a ninety late nineties one. Two thousand two. I, I never heard about this, but I absolutely wanna see it. Should I see it, Jess? Um Yes. Yes. I think well do the original, then watch that one, and then watch the most recent remake all in a row. Um, like I did that day I was sick. What about Carrie um, Two, The Rage, directed by a woman? I, I fucking love Carrie Two, The Rage. Um I didn't watch that because I'd already watched that the week before, which is what prompted watching all three carries. The most recent carry has got Julianne Moore playing Mama. Oh, yeah who is wonderful, as obviously she would be, but it's kind of lackluster because it's Chloe Grace Moretz and I don't really care about her. Yeah, she's in a lot um, of these remakes. She was also in the Let the Right One In remake, which was yeah. a bit of a flop. Mm. Yeah, she's she's one of those people who's just in mainstream horror films. I don't care about her. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she was no cute in that one queer film, the something of Cameron, what's it called? Education the Miss of Education of Cameron mm. Post. Yeah, yeah, it's cute. But the horror films. Oh, I haven't watched it because I keep seeing her face on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we we don't need to hate on her too much. Okay. But we can agree her presence in horror has been uh, less than uh, it's been underwhelming, perhaps. Lackluster. Yeah, it's been lackluster. 
But but yes, I was also going to say Carrie was super close to becoming uh, to being part of my list. I I love uh, Sissy Spacek and Carrie. Yeah, it's also an honorable mention for me. Um, so my last film for the seventies is um, The Haunting of Julia, aka Full Circle. I don't know if you both have seen it, but if you Ooh. haven't, you really should. Um, okay, because the protagonist is Mia Farrow. Yes, so, yes, and, I know this um, film. This is a br- this is a brilliant film. Yeah, so she plays this like grieving mother. She just recently lost her daughter and decides to leave her husband and move to this old, move into the, an old like Victorian house. Um, and this house has a past, um, as in it's haunted. Um, and uh, Julia gets more and more like obsessed with finding out who it's haunted by and why. Um, and just Mia Farrow is just brilliant. She is just, I think she's never been better actually. And, you know, maybe that's like sacrilegious to say, but, um, and, uh, yeah, it's just very, like a chilly, strange, melancholy film. And the ending is just, that's a big thing for me. The endings, cause a lot of horror films, um, that's kind of where they are a bit lackluster at times. So a good ending for me means a lot. And, um, it is brilliant like my yeah I was just shocked and I had to like rewind it a few times because I couldn't believe what I was seeing um and the score is also amazing uh yeah and also like from like a horror nerd uh angle this one guy it was like his kind of mission to because this film was kind of underground for a long time didn't get proper distribution and this one guy fought to get like a blu-ray of this for like seven years and finally this year it happened it's like all kind of due to him maybe or part, like a big part at least is due to him. So that's, that's kind of sweet, cool. you know. Uh, and that's also available on YouTube. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, cool. you should really so. watch it if you haven't. It's great. There's, there's something in her throat. <laughs> Magnus, she can't breathe. My wife is a very sick woman and you know it. Ever since Katie died, she's been completely self-destructive. She's locked herself in that goddamn house and she refuses to listen to reason from me or anyone else. Forgive me. Forgive me. What else? Your house. You must leave it. Get out. Julia. This is so much. I'm going to get it back any way I can. Nothing. I saw nothing. They'll lock you up, you know. Julia. What did you see? A child. So we both had some overlap in our in our seventies. Right, TCM yes. was shared by two, and Don't Look Now was shared by two of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so I'll begin my honorable mentions then. Mm-hmm. Um, I Almost making it onto the list, well, Carrie was one of them, and then Haozu from 77, mm-hmm. a Japanese film mm-hmm. by uh, Nobuhiku Obavashi. I hope I'm saying that vaguely correct. Um, and that's another, it's kind of like, if Three Women is like a bright daytime sunlight horror, then Haozu is like a nighttime, sorry, like dream horror. And like Haozu is like dream horror of, of the night. Um, and it's such a visual feast. 
it's like it's the perfect midnight film in my opinion Mm -hmm. it's just such a it's like a a joyously colorful um yeah grotesque and weird as hell that's (laughs) it's weird as hell it's so much fun um okay i have a long list of honorable mentions yeah maybe we can just name the titles and then yeah yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, i know yeah. that was that that was the only one that i was going into like year yeah. and country and director of but i'm gonna go through just the names of the others um the wicker man can't deny it oh my god amazing nice. film um the brood i have to say i have a soft spot for the brood mm. it's not <laughs> might not be a um a top classic but it's one of my favorite cronenbergs um the exorcist is also on my list and um i rewatched this for for the pop for the podcast and this is a let's scare jessica to death Mm. so i almost Mm -hmm. talked about that as well it's another amazing example of gaslighting horror yeah great brilliant film um yeah my honorable mentions list is quite long so i'm just gonna yeah just (laughs) Um, give the titles. So don't look now. Uh, the shout, which I believe we watched together. Oh, I love the shout. Yeah, it's a great one. Um, Mafu Cage. Yeah. Um, who can kill a child? Oh yeah. Film. Deep Red. Carrie. Yes. Wake and Fright. Black Christmas. Stepford Wives. Um, and now that you mention it, The Wicker Man as well. <laughs> what was the one you said? soon before I, I love wake and fright by the way wake and fright is brilliant was there give me another one that was close to it because I'm, I'm jotting these down as you're saying them okay early. no you, you know these deep red and carry it's deep red yeah. okay yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah deep yeah. red is also great i just rewatched that recently with walter and we had a lot of fun with it yeah that's um, great awesome list jess do you have a um honorable mentions any any I do not. I didn't do the assignment properly. So, Jess, 80s. Here we go. <laughs> yes. So, if good filmmaking um, changed from the 70s to the <laughs> 80s. So, um, I was. I changed uh, the film I was going to talk about. It was actually Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Ah, of course. Of course. But then I realized, actually, I was misrepresenting myself and my history of horror films. And now I'm going to talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Oh, Uh, Oh, wow. You would have. That was. (laughs) It's a big big leap. I know. Um, And here are my reasons. If you, as you two know me very well, you know that Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is a very important film in my life Um, for many reasons, partly because it's one of the best slasher movies. And I don't really... See, I feel like I'm being mean when I say that because I don't really care about slasher movies unless they take place. At Christmas, I probably won't bother watching them Mm -hmm. um, because guy stabbing women in ways while they scream, eh, it's kind of been done. Whereas the Nightmare on Elm Street films are supernatural slasher films. And what I love about them is the way that they bring the supernatural element and the boogeyman can attack you in your dreams, which makes it just more interesting to watch. Um, And Nightmare on Elm Street 3, I think, is the perfect kind of teen movie because it brings together the ensemble cast and through each other they find their strengths. Um, And I think it was like a sleeper hit. Not a sleeper hit, it was an unexpected hit. Um, 
which led to Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which has kind of a huge budget and Reddy Harlan signed up to direct. Um, and the reason I'm going for Nightmare on Elm Street 4 over 3 is not as quality a film. The acting's not as good. The script's not as good. It's <laughs> somewhat lackluster. It doesn't have Nancy Thompson in it. You know, you're, you're kind of quintessential final girl. Um, it's got Rosa, uh, Patricia Arquette's char- characters replaced with oh. a different actress who kind of gets bumped off pretty quickly. Um, but it was my starter horror film. It was mm. the first horror film I ever watched oh. when I was eight years old. <laughs> and I watched it again today. I've seen it many times in the intervening period. And it is a film that when I watch it makes me feel like the coolest eight-year-old in the whole fucking world. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's very important. And me and Sarah were talking the other week about good starter horror films because my eight-year-old niece is getting very interested in horror films. We were talking about starter horror films, and yeah, mine was Nightmare on Elm Street Four. Um, Excellent. And I rewatched it today, and there's like a few quite beautiful things about this movie that that I think attracted me and kept kept me on. Um, one of which is I still really love the portrayal of the friendship group in it. I think it it made more sense when I was eight because <laughs> I felt much more attached to all of these characters despite the terrible acting. Um, but I still have that attachment to them and I have a, an attachment to the friendship group, especially as they're all bumped off one by one and, and hmm. no one really seems to care. Um, it's got this amazing teenage angst about it. Um, none of the parents care. And I guess this is a you know a big part of the Nightmare on Elm Street right. films as well. We sort of tap into this teenage angst because it was the parents who burnt Freddy Krueger in the first place. Um, so the teenage angst is like Kristen is drugged by her mother who thinks she's doing her, you know, a service. And she's like, you're the one who killed me, mom. And that seemed so romantic to me when I was eight. Um, <laughs> but there's also... The boys in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, normally for an 80s horror movie, an 80s slasher movie, it would be kind of grit your teeth and get through it as a woman watching it, you know, and the amount of sort of casual sexism and misogyny that you would have to endure. And actually, I didn't feel that with this movie. There's Mm. two kind of male characters who aren't Freddy Krueger in it, and they're both just really nice. (laughs) There's like Rick, Alice's brother, who's just a really nice brother. And he's like a nice boyfriend to Kristen. While everyone else is sort of talking about how she was in a mental hospital, he's like, I don't think you're crazy and I love you. And and he's just a nice guy. And then there's the other nice guy who Alice ends up with, who's like, he's basically just known as a hunk. But he's quite nice and he drives her around, and you know. <laughs> I didn't that think better? that Nightmare on Elm Street 4 would get the most airtime of any film in, in this podcast. <laughs> we love what we love. <laughs> hey, I haven't even got onto Alice yet. Alice, who I think, <laughs> I think hashtag justice for Alice. Um, I'm going to say, you know, when people talk about final girls, I don't think she ever gets a look in, but her growth from like <laughs> greasy haired wallflower to being this like, badass at the end of the movie and she like makes it through this movie and through number five and maybe if they'd brought alice back then nightmare on street six freddie's dead wouldn't have been the big piece of shit that it was 
which is a shame because that's the only one that's directed by a woman, right? Uh, I know, Rachel Talalay. And it's like such a brilliant concept as well. Yeah. Um, It's just a pile of shit. Anyway, justice for Alice. Bring her back. (laughs) She survived. Nice. And her hair gets bigger as she gets more liberated. (laughs) As it Um, should. Okay, so um, 80s. Um, So yeah, as you just mentioned, Jess, like I feel like a lot of people think 80s, like very silly slashers and stuff. My picks are definitely not silly. Um, Resolutely not silly. Um, So let's start with um, Evil Dead um, from 1981, directed by Sam Raimi. Um, So yeah, I also saw this as a kid. um, And this movie kind of, one of the only movies that in a way made me want to make movies somehow. Uh, Yeah. Uh, kind of inspired me, um, like I'm sure many people felt the same way when they watched it. Um, just the inventiveness and creativity on a very low budget, like, I don't know, it was great. Um, the the demon cam and all that, you know. Um, also, like, in a way, like, it, it's got a sweet memory uh, entwined in it because um, some of my, like, non-horror movie loving friends, like, I actually didn't have any horror loving friends growing up. <laughs> um so they kind of, they knew that this movie, like I'd heard about it, like in my research, whatever, on like the f- beginnings of the internet and books and stuff. And they knew it was important to me. So they kind of made this like surprise event for me to finally watch it and stuff. And it was just kind of a sweet memory, even though they, they couldn't care less about it, but you know, they kind of <laughs> did that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so just, it's, it's a sentimental thing, but also like, I, I just deeply think it's a, yeah, it's, I admire it and it's a great film and it just, this one is a more on the serious side. And then like, you know, Evil Dead 2 is kind of maybe has a, more fans. Uh, it's more fun and entertaining in a sense. But um, the original one is where where it's at for me, even though I, I also obviously like 2. But yeah. Nice. So my pick, uh, my first pick is Possession from 1981 oh, by wow. Andrzej <laughs> Okay. Also not, uh, not on the silly side <laughs> of, of 80s <laughs> horror, although I do also coming up, I have a very silly film on my list. Um, I have a feeling I know which one you mean, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I just, I mean, Isabel Adjani's performance in this film is like one of my favorite cinematic performances ever, I have to say. And of course, since we're all living in Berlin, um, yeah, this is one of the best horror films to ever be shot in Berlin, for sure. I'm not even, I can't even think of any others that compete with it in that regard. Yeah. Um, it's just like the yeah, Isabella Johnny and Sam Neill, the way that they act together, the tension between them, the like these like frenetically anxious arguments they're having. Um, yeah, it's super unhinged on so many levels, this film. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I was just like utterly mesmerized by it. Mm. Yeah, and it has like some very bizarre grotesque elements as well um you know, revealing of this kind of creature that becomes her lover later and that i don't even know what <laughs> seen later um also like yeah depiction of, of her as a as a neglectful mother i find that like a super interesting thing to uh to explore in, in film mm. um, so yeah this, there's just so much to be said about this film and 
Yeah. Surely, I need to rewatch it. Yeah. Surely dozens mm-hmm. of podcasts that are dedicated just to talking about this film and its brilliance. Yeah. So, um, mm. yeah, I will just leave that there. And uh, I do suggest rewatching it. I love this film. Yeah. All right, Jess, round two. I'm going to go with Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, yes. oh that's a fucking um, amazing film. Otis, plug it in. Did you really kill your mama? What? Did you really kill your mama? I guess I did. She must have treated you real bad. She was a whore. Used to dance naked? Sure, all the time around the house. Otis. Best little naked dancer you ever saw. You never. You telling me you never killed anybody before? I ain't saying that. Open your eyes, Otis. Look at the world. It's either you or them. You know what I mean. That's on my list too. Yeah, it's a fucking amazing film. Michael Rooker. I was listening to um, uh, the podcast about Henry Lee Lucas the other day. The You're Wrong About podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were talking I, mm-hmm. about the Henry Lee Lu- Lucas case and how it turned out. You know, he fabricated and confessed to hundreds and hundreds of crimes. Um, and obviously, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is is based on this one man's confessions um and i agreed with what they said in a way about how henry lee lucas as a character kind of sets up the trope of serial killers going forward um from the 1970s onwards and how henry portrait of a serial killer taps into that very very much about the kind of drifter serial killer and how terrifying this idea is this man who hunts humans Mm -hmm. seemingly without emotion um, what I did disagree with was when they said, what, Michael Rooker from Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> At that point, I, I swore at my phone a lot because Michael Rooker is not from Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Michael Rooker is from Henry That's of right. the <laughs> portrait of a fucking serial killer. Yep. Yeah, so bow <laughs> before his might. He is incredible in this film. He's so terrifying. Yeah. And yet... There's this weird feeling I get where I kind of want him and Becky to get together, even though I know she's going to end up in a suitcase. Mm-hmm. I think I need to bring that up with my therapist. <laughs> um, but this, the music in the film and the use of silence and the use mm-hmm. of sort of and the sound the design, VHS, yeah. the cam footage, and the the other characters as well, like Otis and Becky, is such. Yeah. They've got that Texas Chainsaw Massacre family feeling. You know, everything is wrong about this. There's there's incest and there's, like, murder and there's just these broken people being crushed by this, this uncaring society where, you know, anonymous men can go around killing. But Michael Rooker just owns the role and he owns the film and, yeah. you know, if he wants to go and make a bunch of money-making stupid Marvel films, then cool, but He's most certainly not from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, he's only Henry to me too. <laughs> so he's also um, Mr. Svenning from Mallrats, but okay, that's a different sure. podcast. 
Yeah, I also I agree with a lot of what you said, or all of what you said, actually. Um, yeah, it's 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 one of the best films. Period. Not even horror, just period. Um, just seeing these like this very depressing, like empty, depraved life of this guy, and how it kind of yeah oozes out of him and infects everyone else. Even though Otis was, of course, um, not better than him. His mm. uh, side. Get a kick or whatever you want to call him. Um, yeah, I just, I also love that it doesn't try to explain like the horror away, you know, it's just this is what is. Um, and I do believe it's the best serial killer movie ever as well. Um, which, you know, I, I unfortunately, fortunately have uh, a tendency to watch these kind of films. I have mixed feelings about that part of myself. Mm. <laughs> but I, uh, yeah. I, I would say I've seen quite a lot of them and this, this one tops it. Um, yeah. And just the sound design and the look of the film, um, the production design. I mean, it's one of like the dingiest apartments ever caught on film. Like it's so gross. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and the acting. Um, yeah. I, I love it. And it's also available on YouTube. As I like to mention what it is. Um, it was also, it was also banned in, um, under the video, video right. nasties yes. act, which yes. is probably, where all the films I really love come from because I feel like I'm, I'm being really cool watching right, all these right. And also, like, I think the, the directors also didn't relent. They're like, no, this is the version we want. We're not going to censor anything. This is it. And also, I think I, I listened to this um, special feature because I have the Blu-ray, um, mm. and the, the people were just like, the MPAA was like, you can't actually cut any bits from this film. It's just all of it is just morally dubious. You cannot. Yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, yeah, great pick. I have this pick That's too. Wonderful. Remember we were that's briefly another, talking um, about The Golden Glove last night with Kat. I feel right. like that's one film that is a kind of in the family of this film. Yes. yes. The legacy yes. of this film. Such a, such a great, that's yeah. Dingy it's another film. director descent as well, isn't it? John McNaughton did this. Then he did Wild Things. Which I love. <laughs> but yeah. Because of its brilliant script and excellent acting. <laughs> no comment. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Sarah. Is it me now or is it is it you? Yeah. No, because I, I, I kind of extended the Henry thing. Henry was also on my list. It's also on your list. Okay, so yeah. um, I'm going to go for my super silly choice now for contrast. Can, um, can I say it for you? If I Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah. Oh, go ahead. Killer Clowns from Outer Space? Yeah. You, I okay. mean, I wear the shirt around all the time, <laughs> so you can't be so surprised. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've had this film in my life since I was definitely around like 10 or 11 years old. And when I went to Monster Mania convention in uh, 2004, I think, uh, <laughs> so I was 14 with my mother, we we met the Kyoto brothers, the three brothers who wrote and directed Killer Clowns. And they were just selling more clowns, like they're still drawing clowns, like that's, <laughs> that's still their thing. And I swear one of them had a crush on my mom and was flirting with her, which was oh. hilarious. 
And and to, I think to charm my mother, they offered to draw me my very own uh, clown and sign oh it for God. me. So I have an I have a Kyoto Brothers original framed. Oh, in my what you never show me this? You gotta it's, show it. Yeah, it's 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 still uh, in Voorhees, New Jersey. So I can't. Uh, <laughs> okay. but, but who knows? It might come back with me to Berlin since uh, that house is gonna get sold in the next uh, few years. But um. Yeah, so that's just, for me, that's like a feel-good film. I don't know. I watched it um, all the fucking time when I was a kid. Like, I remember when I couldn't sleep at night, like, if I was suffering, (laughs) suffering, (laughs) I guess you can say that word, from insomnia when I was a teenager. Like, that was was the film that would calm me down and and help to put me to sleep. (laughs) I know. I just love, I, I think it has such a, like, fun and, like, I don't know, just vibrant visual world. Like it's so colorful. I'm still obsessed with circus and like fun house aesthetics. Like I love going to the, even like the, the very dinky fun fair that they have at Hasenheide and going into the, the house of mirrors <laughs> and like the, the, the ones with the super colorful carnivalesque, uh, yeah, decor. That's sort of makes me think of killer clowns. And I think it's, mm. uh, I mean, it's it's not even that funny. Like, all the scenes that just have humans in them are, like, schlocky as hell and not really that funny. But when, when the clowns come into the into the frame, it's just pure joy. And they're also it. creepy as hell. Yeah, they're God. creepy as hell, but they're also <laughs> fucking cute and fun. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, I like that about it, too, is that it plays with that. Like, it kind of plays with your desire to, like, want to wanna have fun with them and want to see them as... as uh, you know, I don't know how. To, I, mean, I think I'm weird in that I actually really like clowns. <laughs> like they're like the most famous uh, phobia. People are horrified by them, mm. but I think that's part of why I like them for that underdog uh, aspect in some sense. <laughs> Even the ones that are earnest, like not just the horror clowns, but also the ones that are like, they're like, hey, we're do- we're trying to make an honest living here as clowns. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like them all. Nice. So yeah. All right, Jess. Oh, sorry. That's it. That's that, that's my second one. All right, Jess, you're a sick pervert. Sarah. I know it's true. <laughs> okay, um, my third choice is the uh, 1988 Canadian horror Pin. Oh um, my God, Pin! Pin is the one and only friend Leon's ever had. The only one who doesn't care that Leon's different. It must be crazy to be here tonight. I defended you. Boy, was I dumb. You never had secrets from each other. Only Pin knows Leon's darkest secret. Leon? Hello, Marshall. Oh, Oh my God. When someone hurts Leon, Pin hurts them. When someone tries to come between them, Pin won't let them. I don't think Ann Dorothy will be staying with us for very long. I can't believe I forgot about that film. I fucking love it. One of the most magical things about the three of us is that you're two of the four people I know in the world who've also seen Pin. (laughs) Um, And I think this is why we're always going to be bonded forever. in truest love because I, love I saw pin when i went 
that I don't know if they still do it because I haven't lived in the country for 10 years, but in the UK, in post office, you used to be able to get like really, 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 really cheap DVD box sets. And I got like a 15 horror film box set for like a fiver once. Um, nice. Which is full of films that were destined to become classics in my life for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> as I do love schlock. But one of those movies was Pin. And Pin is fucking amazing. And for, I guess, if anyone's listening who hasn't seen Pin, as if that would be a thing. It's amazing. Um, (laughs) It's based around a a creepy father who's also a doctor who rules over his children in in a very strange way and has a medical dummy (laughs) called Pin. Um with whom he uses, well, he uses Pin to teach them about life. Um, yeah, and then, then it takes a sinister turn. <laughs> very sinister. Um, a very sinister turn. And it's, it's, in parts, it's really silly, but it's also quite right on, because um, one of the characters has to go and get an abortion, and they're kind of cool about her getting an abortion. The filmmakers are, um, which doesn't happen very much. Um, and it's also got Terry O'Quinn in it, who should be in all horror films. Who was John Locke mm-hmm. in Lost? Or John Locke from Lost was the dad from Pin. And the stepfather, right? That's a creepy one. And both stepfather films. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's so creepy. I love how, like, creepily Canadian he is. And, like, <laughs> I don't... I I spend a bit of time actually worshipping Canadian horror films because they make, like, delightfully, understatedly odd horror films. You know, from kind of Cronenberg through kind of Ginger Snaps and, and films like Pin that you just... They wouldn't necessarily leap to the front of the mind, but they're they're just slightly strange. And also, that the pit, right? That's another weird Canadian one. What is? Watch that together. Which one? What film? The pit. You know that evil kid with the big pit. Oh fuck! I forgot about that. That was a strange Canadian film. I ended up making an IMDb list of made for t- made for TV movies that people who had been in Pin were also in. <laughs> which, I'm waiting to like I break both legs or something, and then I can watch them all. A nice thing to aspire towards. I think so. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, well, my third pick for the '80s is uh, Sporlos, aka The Vanishing. Oh, that was a close one for me. Yeah, I almost had that. that in my top three. I rewatched nice. it for this. Okay, from '88, directed by George Sluizer or something. Um, so yeah, I feel like this is a fantastic existential horror film. Um, if you don't know, it's about a couple on vacation who make a stop at a gas station, and the girlfriend vanishes, uh, and then the boyfriend desperately tries to find out what happened, and meets her kidnapper. And that's kind of where the story really gets going. Um, yeah, I mean, the killer, the sinister killer. Um, so sinister. The, yeah, understandable, but like kind of really icky curiosity of the boyfriend. And also just the matter of factness and exceptional play with tension. 
uh, yeah, there's just, I feel like there's nothing really like it. And um, even the same director couldn't actually capture this magic again because he made the same film. He remade it uh, for the U.S. audience, I guess, with uh, Kiefer Sutherland and Sandra Bullock and Jeff Bridges. And it really just is not very good. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, again, talking about endings, this is probably my favorite horror movie ending yes. ever. It's so uh, harrowing. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, I I I had seen it I think originally when I was maybe fourteen or fifteen. Also watched it mm. with my mom and she was a huge fan of this film. Nice. Um and then yeah, I rewatched it and I was I was again very impressed by it. But I was yeah. slightly vexed by the fact that it's a film about a missing woman, but it's actually just a film about these two men. Two men, yeah. You know? And it's like, okay, this is a very different film, but like and I'm not talking about this as my favorite at all, but like also with like Irreversible, for example, it's like a film about something horrible happening to a woman, but it's really just about how these men yeah. are dealing with it. And I, I, something about that is just like not my jam. Okay, um, I can see that. But yeah, I think the performances are amazing. Um, and it's, it's very creepy how um, the, the killer has this strange relationship with his daughter. Like... They're in the car together, and she's like, don't you have a mistress? Oh, at your age, you deserve to have a mistress. And then, like, she gives him a keychain for his uh, keys, and is like, this is for all the driving you have to do. Wink, wink. Like, <laughs> like she wants yeah. to be complicit in him having a mistress. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of, there's something, something so strange. Like, I don't quite... Him, him as a family man, the way he's depicted as a family man. As yeah, so-called like, normal family yeah, man. Yeah, and I mean, I do think it's a very effective choice to show that he's yeah. this, like, functional-seeming mm. family man who's, like, beloved by his yeah. family and his children. But ugh, and it, also, it leaves I me love... feeling icky. Like, there's something really... I, I, think, like... I, mean, I think that that's what's effective, for sure. But, like, yeah, yeah it's... And also the fact that he keeps asking the, the boyfriend, like, are you sure? Like, this is what's hap- going to happen? Like... He always he has like many ways to like leave the situation in a way. Yeah. But he still pers- like he still insists on this, even knowing like I don't know. It's just it's so like also just yeah. Again, the existential part of it really grabs totally. me. Like I I really it's it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, the way they show his backstory, how he he jumped from the banister when he was a teenager, and then from then on, he was just like, let's see what else I can do. Let's mm. see how far I can go. Yeah, in, but in this very kind of like, uh, yeah, like why not? Like you know, like it's not like he's yeah. doing it because he yeah. needs to, and he's just kind of doing it to yeah. see where he can go. Like he saves like a little a girl from drowning. And Nietzsche, like, Superman, Superman, or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great film. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was. I had originally picked it for my top three, and then I rewatched it and changed my mind, like for little okay. little reasons. Um, that I just, I don't, I didn't love it as much as I used to love it, but yes, still, mm. still recognize it as a brilliant film. Shall I give my final pick? Please. Yes. And I think you also will not be surprised at all by this pick, um, knowing me and <laughs> knowing also <laughs> the shirt that I wear all the time, which, uh, uh-huh. was a birthday gift from you a few years ago. <laughs> um, and that's Hellraiser, Clive Barker, um, 1987. Uh-huh. And I also adore the novella that this is based on, The Hellbound Heart. Um, which is basically like, yeah, horror erotica. It's so good. <laughs> um, I love that. I do love that this film has an element of like BDSM in its aesthetic. And the 
fact that there's a female villain who's like bringing men home to to feed to her like gross oozing lover right <laughs> who's like this kind of like yeah this this body that's just like still in the act of becoming i love the like the, mm. the what is it like stop motion kind of almost claymation of watching this body form out of like a few mm. drops of blood and then the tissue and then the the sinews and all the the muscle it's really like, well done though for such a small budget yeah i mean it's yeah. like there's something that's like simultaneous like simultaneously cheap and beautiful about it mm. also with mm. like the way you see mm-hmm. the, the the hooks going into the skin and it just looks like rubber <laughs> You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, but I'm so into it. I'm so it's it's such yeah. a like tactile, um, yeah, yeah, aesthetic world mm-hmm. that that uh, that he makes there. Um, yeah, I really do. I really appreciate these films that have their own kind of like evocative visual world, whether it be Hellraiser or Killer Clowns or How Zoo or Three Women. Like, this is kind of a mm-hmm. an important uh, aspect of horror for me is this kind of world building, and I love the. The, the light design in this film and the sound design, like the way that you hear like these, this rotating kind of column of hooks and like the, you can like hear the chains and the metal and the like mm. the flesh and the, what is it? This one female Cenobite is just kind of like creating this kind of like wheezing noise or like this kind of screeching mm. noise all the time. Mm-hmm. And every time they show mm-hmm. the different Cenobites, they have these different sounds that accompany them. Um, yeah, I just think it's like it's a brilliant film for it's like yeah. a feast for the senses. You solved the box. We came. Now you must come with us. Taste our pleasures. Do you have any honorable mentions? Yes. Okay. So the vanishing is at the top of my honorable mentions list, and then Dead Ringers, which is my favorite Cronenberg, and I think yes, you had said Ellie that that's one of your faves as well. Yes. Yes, for sure. Um, it's also my mentions. And then I just have Tetsuo at the Iron Man as well, mm. Japanese film from 89, which is also a visually stunning film. And nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have quite a few um, honorable mentions here. Uh, as much as I guess the 80s is derided, uh, I still find a lot of things to love about it. Um, so I have uh, The Fly, uh, Phenomena, mm. White oh, Dog. Yeah. Phenomena is great. Yeah, White Dog, Def Fan, the German, like the only German film I have in here. Uh, uh-huh. The Shining, uh, Society. Oh, I didn't oh, mention The Shining. Society. The Shining was actually on my original list, but I skipped over it. But yes, okay. um, I somehow chose Killer Clowns and, and instead of The Shining. Society, Hellraiser, Dead Ringers, The Lost Boys, and The Seventh Continent, which I would consider a horror movie, but... Oh yeah, that's uh, coming Hanukkah, up. Hanukkah, yeah, he's coming up on my in my lists. Okay, I um, have the Lost Boys on my on my mentions as well. Nice, as well as a Night to Dismember. Oh um, my god, really? Yes, <laughs> yes, Sorry. really. Okay, you can laugh what you want. No, Night no. to Dismember is a ridiculously brilliant film. <laughs> um, also, Paper House, the Bernard Rose film, which I saw. Oh, I saw you watch that. When I was very, very young, um, and it freaked the shit out of me, which is exactly what a horror film should do. Um, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, lots of like open, creepy English countryside. Um, not to mention Chopping Mall as well. <laughs> Chopping Mall or Night of the Comet. Okay, nice. I still need to watch two of those Paper House and Night of the Comet. Yeah. 
Yes, you do. Okay. Uh, 90s. Here we go. We're all alive in the 90s. All right. So, <laughs> um, Jess. Um, I'm starting with the cube. Oh, my God. Um, I have it on my list, too. I'm nice. going, not, yeah. I mean, I was thinking of films that I watched over and over and over and over and over again. And the cube was definitely a film that I owned on VHS and I watched so many times and I heard it, but it had the perfect Shakespearean introduction to this movie with people talking about it. Like, have you seen this movie? Have <laughs> you seen this movie? And I was so excited and it lived up to all of my expectations and it was everything I wanted um, you know, the 90s was such an amazing time for micro-budget cinema that mm. had thought to it and had script writing time put in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and The Cube is a sign of that. I mean, there's a lot about it that's overdone. The acting is a little bit terrible, but mm-hmm. I do think that acting should be a little bit terrible in films. <laughs> um, and I'm often disappointed when it's not. And so it's also me, Canadian, right? Yeah. It's also Canadian. It's also got the guy from Pin in it. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the guy who plays the son, who is actually English. He's called David something or other. Um, good for him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, the cube is the fact that they made it for no money and and it looks it looks legit. They shot it in, you know, a cube and a half. Um, mm. and had to sort of light it as they went because it was changing colour. Um, the way they did that, the visual effects look really, really good. I still think, like, the chopping up of bodies by these sort of silent wires is fucking terrifying and so good. And, the, oh, the opening sequence where you just see someone sort of step into the middle of the room and you just hear this, like, tiny pinging noise and then their whole body just falls apart in chunks that's what I want from a film. That's exactly what I want from a film. And it's also got the guy who plays um, the husband in Hedwig and the Angry Inch in it. Um, Like tremendously overacting with a bit of a little Richard Um, (laughs) moustache. And yeah, the music, the way it's sort of kind of, oh, it's so creepy. And I rewatched it and I still love it. Nice. Oh, I would love Sarah, to do you want to add it. something to that? Yeah, I haven't seen it since I was a teenager, but I fucking loved it. It just, like, I don't know, it, it totally swept me up. And I guess it was one of the first horrors that I saw that was, like, a bunch of people in an isolated space who have to, like, work out some riddles to get out of a life-threatening situation, which has become, like, a bit of a cliche, but I think this film yeah. did it best, in my opinion. Mm. And, like, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. also aesthetically beautiful amazing light design set design um and I think at the time I was also like it was in high school that I watched it and I was a little bit of a math nerd which isn't which didn't last beyond high school for me but um I mean I'm a drummer and I like my weird I like playing with numbers still but I think I was also like very um I don't know. I found that aspect of it to be kind of like delicious for me at that, at that time as well. Probably sounds a little silly to put it that way, but um, yes, um, I, I would love to rewatch it though, because it it left a huge impression. Like when, when, when I was doing my list and it was time for the nineties, that was actually the first film I wrote down somehow. Like it was, 
And it was very hard for me to choose my other ones. It took some like proper digging for me to like remember yeah, what the hell else I enjoyed in the 90s, from the 90s. Right, that's um, hard, yeah. Yeah, Same. so Cube was, was an easy memory for me to recall. Cool. I love what you said about how it's become a cliche because I mean I guess it was kind of the precursor to torture yeah porn. to like Saw and stuff like that yeah, yeah. that whole franchise the, the best named genre it's got a really good name for a genre okay if I was a genre I'd want to be called torture porn as well. <laughs> um, I mean what? this isn't exactly torture porn though but it's like it's like a, it's like a very alienated version of that right because the 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 um the villain is like a machine i mean yeah you never know who the villain is it's it's the sort of is it the banality of evil is it the kind of bureaucracy Mm. you never really find out yeah it has a lot of it has like a delirium to it that's also what i like about it i think Mm. yeah um, okay, well, my, my choice is different. Uh, <laughs> let's go with uh, Candyman, directed by Bernard Rose yes. in 1992. I, I didn't choose that because I knew you would. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. yeah, so it's actually, it's also based on a Clive Barker story, uh, Hellraiser. Um, but the original story is set in the UK, and Candyman is actually white. So Bernard Rose um, changed quite a bit for this film. Um yeah, and as much as, you know, it's obviously flawed, um, this whole, like, you know, white woman as a protagonist who's kind of like this desirable interloper and kind of she's the what it's all about in the film and also the fact that Candyman is targeting black people as opposed to seeking revenge on those who wronged him, you know, you can really, that is something to criticize for sure. And the 2021 version kind of did that in a good way, but I still feel like Candyman, the 90s Candyman is where where my heart lies. And I mean, it's also a big part of my um, horror biography. Like it's the first film. I also saw it like when I was nine and mm. um, I mean, I've mentioned this many times, but uh, yeah, it's really what attracted me to, to horror in a way. Cause it just really freaked me out so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't sleep properly for weeks and um, <laughs> I love you know, it just, that's what, <laughs> what drew me in. Um, yeah. And I still find it creepy. And Tony Todd is just amazing in this role. Like he's so, you know, mysterious and seductive. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's got everything. (laughs) So I think I was, I was, you know, scared, but also, you know, I found him very alluring as well as, as a young kid. So, um, yeah, just also very like adult horror movie in a way, like it's, it's somehow dealing with real serious themes that maybe uh it's kind of like also an opening to see how you know social inequality and things can kind of merge really well in, in horror um uh yeah yeah that's a brilliant film. he's an interesting director bernard rose as yeah. well he's, I mean, he's also the director of paper house right you just mentioned yeah he did paper house which is just yeah an excellent movie he also did um ivan's ecstasy with um oh, oh, what's yeah. his name Oh, it's so good. It's adaptation oh. of Tolstoy, and it's oh. it's incredible, and it's a really like dense, intelligent movie filled with symbolism. Peter Weller's in it, okay. and he's incredible. Um, it's always back to RoboCop for me, <laughs> but yeah, he's an interesting director um, who, yeah, has done it very much his own thing, and has gone on to continue making quite intelligent well thought out films yeah which 
for horror directors, as we've proven today, isn't always <laughs> necessarily going to happen. Right, right. Um, Sarah, I think you're you're next. Yeah. So my next one is uh, Funny Games. So we have mm-hmm. another Michelle mm-hmm. Hennig Hanukkah film here. Yes. In '97, um, Austria. Not to be mistaken with the film that was made 10 years later, um, the American version of it, uh, which did not live up to its, uh, the original in any sense. But mm. yeah, this is, I guess this, this could be called torture porn as well, couldn't it? Mm. Um, it's just, it's, it's extremely unpleasant to watch. Like, yeah. um, I think, Ellie, did you watch, did we watch Speak No Evil together? Did we watch that together as a group? I don't remember. Uh, I don't know if you watched it together, but I did watch You've it. seen it. Yeah. yeah. Speak No Evil reminded me a lot of funny games, oh, actually. Uh-huh. And they're uh-huh. both kind of like playing with this idea of like politeness and how we let people cross our boundaries yeah. um, until they yeah. go way too fucking far. Uh-huh. And this, it's like, uh-huh. there's just this, I mean, if, if you've seen it, you know, that's... Uh, yeah, yeah. That's it's, <laughs> it's, ex- it's extremely um it goes extremely far and like it's it's just relentless as a film yeah and yeah. uh very hard to watch but very brilliant and there's some kind of social oh. commentary going on about austria and post-war guilt and i don't know i don't need to go into that but mm. it's um <laughs> it's great mm-hmm mm-hmm have you have you have you both seen it? The original film. Yes, game? of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Hanukkah fan. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Oh, you should yes. check it out, mm-hmm. Jess. But get ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I haven't seen it. <laughs> I don't just wake up one morning and go, "I'm gonna watch Funny Game." You Actually, I'm ready. like, yeah, currently coming off um, anti <laughs> anti anxiety meds. So maybe this is the time. It's definitely <laughs> not one to show your eight year old niece. I'll say that. Mm. Right now. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> I'll stick with Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Uh, go ahead, Jess. Okay. My second film is actually uh, Gremlins 2, the new batch. <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> yes. Uh, Gremlins 2, the new batch is, not only one of the greatest films ever made, um, but it's also one of the rare where the sequel is better than the original. And I don't say that lightly because I love the original Gremlins very, very much. Um, but people should just give Joe Dante money to make films all the time. Mm-hmm. He clearly has the best time in the world. He clearly learned all his chops from Roger Corman. Mm. Um, I think he's my favourite of the people who learned from Roger Corman because he's gone on to just make bigger, better Roger Corman films, and that makes me happy. Gremlins 2 is beautiful in every sense of the word. Mm. <laughs> now I really want to watch it again. You should. You should watch it every day. I watch it at least <laughs> once a year. It's so much um, fun. And it's glorious, and it's it's ridiculous, and it's silly, and it's everything a film should be it's probably not really a horror film but i don't care they do you know they do some splatting and then they sing and (laughs) and it's got christopher lee in it playing dr catheter and he says things like rabies i've already got rabies (laughs) (laughs) and it's got the grandpa from the monster playing a vampire who wants to be a news anchor and it's got daniel clamp of the clamp corporation and it's got the sexy lady Kremlin and it's it's just perfect. It's a perfect film. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Nice. Um, 
Okay, well, my next one is uh, Tesis, or Thesis in English, uh, directed by Alejandro Amenabar from 96. Um, this is about Angela, a student who is working on her thesis on audiovisual violence and discovers there's a snuff ring at her university. Um, so it's really, really quite gripping uh, with a great handle on perspective and voyeurism and um, morbid curiosity. Again, another running theme for me. Um, there's this opening scene is set in a subway station after someone commits suicide. And then the protagonist, Angela, is repeatedly being asked not to look at the body. And it's just like such a great way to introduce a character. Like, it's really great. Um, and there's a scene where she's in this completely dark basement um, with this other, with her friend. Um, and they only have matches to lead the way. And it's just really tense and great. Um it does have like this kind of requisite male horror nerd character who is kind of needlessly obnoxious, um, who becomes her, who becomes her ally. Uh, but even that, like their kind of relationship feels appropriate somehow. Um, yeah. Again, it's really impressive. It's a debut. Um, he was only 23 when he made it. And um, this director also went on to make the others, for example. Um yeah, and also available on YouTube with English subtitles. So I'd recommend. Okay. Tough choices for my my third film of the 90s. Um, have, you, have you seen this film? Just so I know where we're at. From Thesis, you mean? Yeah. No, I haven't seen it. I wrote it no? down, though. Okay. I definitely okay, cool. want to check it out. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear what you, what you think. Okay, so I rewatched two films that I almost talked about. And I'll just tell you which ones they are. They're... Event Horizon from 97, Mm -hmm. which is kind of almost Hellraiser in space in some Mm -hmm. regard, Mm -hmm. like opening a portal to another dimension. And yeah, Um, there's one amazing scene in that where you see what happens to it's okay. It's it's set in outer space, right? There's a, there's a crew on a spaceship and they see that the former crew of this like abandoned craft or something, like you see what they went through and like, it's very, um, like Boschian hell kind of yeah, uh, yeah. it's yeah. it's it's beautiful <laughs> um, but I I didn't love it as much upon my second viewing so it didn't make the top three I know I shouldn't talk about the films for my honorable mention <laughs> but I did rewatch it just for this so I had to, to say that mm-hmm. um, I also rewatched The Good Son <laughs> mm. <laughs> which I, which I kind of watched because of I wanted that through line with the bad seed you know like mm-hmm. another evil mm-hmm. child film and it has like a very young Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin in it. And Macaulay Culkin right. plays a young sociopath and it's oh, hilarious. Yes. And uh, sure you watched that. Yeah. I watched it with my friend Rebecca and we noted she paused the film at one point and she was like, Have you noticed that we're dressed exactly like the two children in this film? <laughs> <laughs> like I had this flannel shirt on, which was like the same plaid flannel shirt as Elijah Wood and she had like a sweater over a red turtleneck which was exactly what Macaulay Culkin was wearing <laughs> these two like nine-year-old boys um anyway children of the 90s um but the film that the I chose for theme of, of Sarah's murderous child is making me so happy <laughs> in the end I, I chose that uh I wanted to talk about uh, the addiction by Abel oh, Ferreira mm-hmm. starring Lily Taylor which I did not rewatch for this podcast, but in the end, I uh, it's just like also like a starkly beautiful visual world in black and white, and 
it has this kind of queer scene where she gets bitten by another woman and like she gets like kind of pursued and then like taken to this kind of like corner and 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 bitten um and it's like a very kind of like philosophical existential film it's not even necessarily a, a horror film but um yeah, I don't know if you if you you've both seen it, right? So I'd love to know yeah. what what yeah. stuck stuck out to you about it. Also, Christopher Walken's in it, which is he's great too. Um, I saw it like ages ago. I, yeah, I same. This also yeah. demands a rewatch. Like I, I just remember certain like scenes or certain visuals, but not like the whole mm-hmm. narrative. Honestly, yeah. yeah, same. I remember it being really really violent (laughs) Mm. um and very very bloody and very very beautiful and just being in love with lily taylor but that's just a yeah it's just part of being alive (laughs) yeah i I love her too i mean the i shot andy warhol was like (gasps) one of my favorite films as a teenager yeah yeah uh, i would double bill that and mystic pizza any day of the week (laughs) perfect double bill maybe the three with the addiction. Nice. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Jumble. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, wish, um, I wish I had more specifics to say about it, but I'll just say it left a very strong impression on me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. So my last uh, 90s movie is uh, Ringu, uh, directed by Hideo Nakata uh-huh. uh, from 1998. Uh-huh. Um, it's probably one of the only like supernatural films on my list. Um yeah, so the idea that, you know, people are infected by death without any, you know, control over it is terrifying, um, just by a phone call. Um, and I think I saw this, like, alone uh, as a teenager, and that, you know, that very, now we all know this, the scene of, like, uh, Sadako coming out of the TV um, just terrified me. And I, you know, as maybe you both can attest, I don't really get scared by horror films very often. Uh, and this one really did, did scare me. Um, and for that, it deserves a place on this list. Um, and uh, yeah, it's great. A great Japanese mm-hmm. like J-horror film. Um, also available on YouTube. Nice. It was a good, it was a good time for Japanese horror. I was just thinking about audition actually. Yes. Oh yeah. That made it onto my, my list and going to see audition at the cinema and and it, it's just like being having your face assaulted by this insane movie that starts off kind of like a romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah. Um and descends into ultra violence, which again is just what else do you need in a film? Yeah, like a sexist this, romantic comedy, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. incredibly sexist romantic comedy, yeah. which, yeah. you know, devolves into a woman fo- feeding vomit to a thing in a bag. I was going to rewatch this. Um, I was going to rewatch Audition in the build up to today and somehow never felt in the mood for it. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll double bill it with a funny game. <laughs> oh my god, what a pairing. In between. <laughs> so you want you want this will, this will be your 90s last uh, 90s 90s pick? Yeah. Okay, great. Perfect. Nice. I love um, it. Any honorable mentions from the 90s? So I have two trash mentions from okay. 1992. Mm-hmm. And they are the hand that rocks the cradle, oh. <laughs> and single white female. Oh yes, nice. 
Very nice. Are you are you listening to You Must Remember This, the movie podcast? Occasionally, the- occasionally, yeah, it's good. Because the last, I think the one of the most recent episodes was, was on this like wave of um, like the X from Hell <laughs> movies, um, kind of after Fatal Attraction. I think you'd really enjoy that because both of these films are featured. Nice. I will totally check it out. Yeah, it's funny. I was yeah. I was also gonna list Anatomy. A German horror film, as an honorable oh, mention, yeah. but actually it was made in 2000. And then when I looked at my honorable mentions from the 2000s, they all are way, way better and more important to me than Anatomy. I just realized that, okay. like, for me, the 90s, like, it's a it's a lower um, a lower bar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The things that made it onto my list. Um, I like think you're right. I mean, then, right? yeah, it is. It's really good. I saw it when I was young, and it I left a it left a scar. Let's say. Um, <laughs> okay. Sorry, I think the nineties, the nineties were kind of a difficult time for horror because it it became mainstream and it was like the kind of scream yeah. and the the yeah. ironic horror films and it was very high school and yeah. it was very generic yeah. and very and so a lot, a lot of it was like of, true crime as well. Like there was a lot of kind of like it was like movie versions of TV shows about serial killers mm. and like mm. yeah investigations and stuff like that. Yeah, I also had so, I also yeah, had the silence silence of the lambs on my list. Yes, um, yeah, yes. and my on my honorable mentions. Definitely also yeah. on my list. Um, so other ones on my list: um, Benny's video, also Henneke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Misery, which is great. Mm. I also recently rewatched that. I also rewatched uh, that for the podcast, but I decided I didn't like it anymore. Really? Yeah, I, I wanted I wanted more agency for Annie Wilkes. Oh. I love Kathy Bates so much, and she's great in it, but I, I wish yeah. that she'd been written with more nuance. Hmm. You know, it felt like a film that's, written by a man about... That's a lot to wish for a Stephen King film. <laughs> I know. I really liked it, yeah. Um, so, of the Lambs, uh, Scream, you know, as much as, of course, it, uh, you know, led to not-so-great things, not-so-great movements in the horror world, um, I still feel like it's a, actually quite an entertaining um film for what it is uh funny games as well and ravenous um yeah Fun. also directed by a woman yeah finally um, it's been hard to yeah, find up, up in, until the 2000s i had a lot of trouble finding good films that i really loved um horror films i really loved directed by women mm, yes, yeah, I, yes and i'm sad about that yeah yeah you just I mean, yeah. you need to rewatch a night to dismember <laughs> until you understand <laughs> What Doris wants from you. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. Well, Mafu Cage um, in my case and, and Ravenous. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you had Mafu Cage yeah. on the early yeah. list. Yeah. But yeah, not very many, unfortunately. And I did his memory um, for um, Bushman. Okay. I think I have never seen it, actually. So I should. Uh, really? I think. Didn't we watch it together? And we we were maybe watched it. I think we watched it I'm pretty sure I forced you guys to watch it. We were confused. I mean, it's like a weird edit, right? It's not not actually like the way it's supposed to be, or something. Yeah, maybe we did. I don't know. Um, I think I think it's giving it a lot, saying that that's not the way it's supposed to be. Honestly, okay, we can't just assume that half of a night to dismember ended up in a skip somewhere. I think I think that's I think that's that's it. Okay, you think it's it? A lot of my honor. Yes, please. A lot of my honorable mentions are kind of not strictly horror films because I think, you know, for me, the 90s were very much about the independent film yeah. boom continuing from the from the 1990s and 
people pushing the form and Darren Aronofsky obviously oh I don't want to see his last film because yeah. I'm a fat person but um Pie was a film that I would drag people home to my flat and make them watch mm-hmm. at three o'clock in the morning when I was a student um which no one ever forgave me for, but fuck them, Pie is an incredible film. It's like having your eyeballs just assaulted by spiders and oh, I really really need to rewatch Pie. Um, and similarly for Requiem for a Dream, which I yeah. went to see at the cinema and then went to a party and stood in silence at the back of the room for two hours because I couldn't speak because yeah. I'd just seen Requiem for a Dream for the first time. Yeah. Um, and similarly, Summer of Sam. Um, mm-hmm. Spike Lee's made a couple of, well, he's made one horror film and a horror adjacent film, I guess. Um, and this is his horror adjacent. And I'm right. really in it for Adrian Brody with a mohawk. Yeah. And everything else follows. But it's <laughs> such a beautiful piece of cinema and amazing storytelling. And yeah, I fucking love it. Definitely. It's a great one. Awesome. Um, okay, I just got an alert. Good timing. Um, yeah, great. Well, um, so we're going to leave the last two decades for another time. Um, but is there anything you want to say on, on the air, so to speak, before we stop recording? <laughs> Everyone should watch A Night to Dismember. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm I don't have anything cool. to add. Just that this has been really fun. And now it I have, been, I've yeah. been making a list of everything you've, you've both been saying the whole time. So I plan to revisit some of these films and maybe I will watch some of them before we record next. Mm-hmm, and, uh, mm-hmm. Great. I was waiting for Ellie to make the list because I'm a bad friend. <laughs> no, actually, I would, I would, uh, I would, if you both have your list in writing, if you could send that over, yeah. that'd be great. But it's not, I can, yeah. Um, just so we can have that. I can maybe make a little letterbox as well for it. I don't know. That would be cute. Thank you so much for taking the time. This was really, as expected, really nice and fun. Thank um, you for doing it, Ali. It was a very yeah, nice idea. Great. to Chris Yoe Tokunaga for the music and Julie Saragoza for the sound mixing. You can follow Somebody's Watching on Instagram and Twitter, and you can also reach me anytime at somebodyswatchingpod at gmail.com. Please subscribe and rate Somebody's Watching on iTunes because it would really help with the podcast's visibility. Thanks! Thanks!